Our second scripture lesson for this morning comes from Hebrews, selected verses from chapters 11 and 12. So listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this, he received approval as righteous, God himself giving approval to his gifts. He died, but through his faith, he still speaks. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say, says Hebrews? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. Women received the dead by resurrection." Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Author Sumunk Kidd wrote, Stories have to be told or they die. And when they die, we can't remember who we are or why we're here. So telling stories is important. Our faith is built upon the story of God's people that we read each week in Scripture, as you just heard in the Hebrews. And surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses, God's story lives in each of you. And so it is the tradition of this congregation that once a year we step out of the pulpit so that you can hear the stories of faith from among you. This morning, from Beth, and from David, and from Kim. So as they prepare to step into this pulpit, will you pray with me for them? Let's pray together. Hover here, Holy Spirit, as your Spirit hovered over the waters of creation. Hover here that your Spirit might rest upon Beth and Kim and David. Hover here that your spirit might rest upon us, 
opening our ears to hear the words of the wonders of your love and the stories of your grace. And as we listen, may each of us be changed, challenged, and called to seek you, to see how you are alive and at work in each of our lives, and how each part of the body working together can witness to Christ's love for us all. So hover here, Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. I'm Beth Bayer. I've been a member of Morningside for 30 years. I've heard a lot of compelling faith stories during my time here. And frankly, I never thought I'd be up here telling mine. So um, I've come a long way. And I'm proud to be here today to tell my story. Let us begin. My faith journey began well enough. At a young age, Mama began dropping me off at the Baptist church in the neighborhood. There I was embraced with a loving community. I learned Bible stories. At 12, I decided to be baptized. I joined the Baptist church and became active in the choir and youth program. <clears throat> but I kept my religion compartmentalized. At home, we didn't say blessings at meals. We didn't have bedtime prayers. We didn't talk about God or the Bible or spiritual matters at all. Integrating God in my daily life was not something I learned to do. Maybe for this reason, the lessons I learned at the Baptist church didn't stick. By the time I completed my first quarter of a required college Bible class, I realized I was way too smart for religion. After college, I married and moved to an idyllic island off the coast of Georgia. Soon we had a son. I had high expectations of living happily ever after. During our marriage and life in St. Simons, my husband and I never considered affiliating with the church, even after our son was born. As my son began packing for college, I faced the truth that I needed to leave my marriage and my home for the past 20 years. I felt alone and lost. In despair, I turned to God and to the church for a lifeline. I began attending a Methodist church on St. Simon's where once again I received a warm welcome. I felt connected to God and to that church community. During that time, I believe God began to lead me into life choices that truly felt like a resurrection. I decided to move to Atlanta and attend law school at age 47. Shortly after arriving in Atlanta, I joined Morningside where I found a church home. 30 years at Morningside has shaped my faith and brought me to a deeper understanding of why I need God in my daily life. I believe God is good. I believe God knows me, knows my name, and is available to me each day and at any time. The recent sermon series on prayer resonated with me. Now my prayers are more frequent and shorter. Help me. Why? Who, me? Make enough time in this day. 
close my mouth, and open my ears. Thank you. I believe God wants my life to be worthwhile and wants me to be happy, at least some of the time. I believe if I stay connected to God and make choices in line with God's will, I have an opportunity to become my best self before I die. And that will please the God who created me. I don't believe there's a hell. I don't even know if there's an afterlife. That's for God to know and me to find out. I don't know if Jesus will actually come to life, uh, come back to the earth and establish God's kingdom right here in Atlanta, Georgia. But I believe God calls humanity, each of us, to establish God's kingdom here on earth in real time each day by the way we treat each other. When operating at its best, I believe the organized church is a vehicle for delivering God's kingdom on earth. Morningside offers a place to call home and experience family, a resource for ministering to the poor, the marginalized, and the forgotten in this community. I believe in Katie and Emma and Amanda for their creativity, skill, and effort in providing a rich worship experience and worthwhile activities for all ages. Along with the elders and deacons, they sustain a church family where all are welcome and respected. I believe in Jonathan and the choir. Sometimes I come to worship distracted and troubled. Maybe some others of you do as well. It is true Morningside's music that the Holy Spirit invariably shows up to comfort and give me hope. I believe in Megan and Victor and Leo, who work diligently behind the scenes to keep Morningside's wheels on and its wagon out of the ditch. I believe in the audio-visual team who sustained Morningside's worship during the pandemic. They show up every Sunday to make sure we can all hear and live stream Morningside services to the community at large. I believe in the countless other volunteers who make Morningside thrive as a place that nourishes and teaches and serves. I believe that Morningside can be its best self if each member of this church family makes a financial pledge and participates in Morningside's activities by showing up and by volunteering. I believe that this too is worship. Good morning. I'm Kim. So this I believe, huh? Yeah, well, I believe Katie asked me to do this because she knows all my dirty secrets. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what do I believe? I believe God is with us even in our darkest times. I believe God wants each of us here to do his work. And I believe God heals us because he loves us. How do I know this? About 10 years ago, I went through a terrible divorce. Some of you no doubt remember me from back then because my husband and I were actively involved in this church. He was on session 
officer nominating committee, pastor nominating committee, the strategic committee that brought the Welcome Center here. I was chair of the preschool committee for what seemed like years, <laughs> um, and women's roundtable. We were in all the social events. We came here every Sunday dressed to the nines, and our children were well behaved <laughs> and cute too, actually. To many people, including some of you, it probably looked like we had the perfect life. But the truth was, inside, my mental health was rapidly deteriorating. At the end of that marriage, I was a shell of a human being. And I felt about two inches tall. I felt worthless, unimportant, and I was in part isolated from my friends and even my family with no support system. When my kids were with me, I could barely keep it together. When they were with their dad, I became self-destructive. I was full of shame. I never understood the power of that emotion until then. Shame told me that I deserved to hurt myself. So I did. I ate too much. I drank way too much. And when I look at pictures of myself from then, even though I might be smiling, my eyes are hollow. It's like there's a body there, but no soul. The darkest night of my life came in June of 2014. The kids were with their dad, and I was home alone, and I could not shake that voice that told me I was a terrible mother and an even worse human being, and that my kids and the whole world would be better off without me here. So I came up with a plan to end my life. I loved my childhood in Oklahoma, so my plan was to drive out there and then find a bridge or a cliff to drive off of. So I got in my car and I started the trek up to I-40. When I got out of the Atlanta suburbs, crying so hard that I could barely see the road, there was another voice in my head, an unfamiliar one. And it said, stop, just rest. If you want to do this tomorrow, then fine. But for now, just pull over and rest. So I found a hotel and stayed there that night. When I got up the next morning, I felt different. I wanted to live. So I got back in my car and I drove myself to a hospital, checked myself in for four days. After that, my healing journey began. I got into therapy and I learned how to deal with challenging emotions without numbing them out. I felt called to come back to Morningside and be with my choir family my chosen family, who you guys are the
best support system anyone could ask for, other than my mom. I barely resemble the Kim of 2014 now. I am healthy, I am happy, I am comfortable in my own skin, and I finally, for the first time, feel safe to be me. So I believe that God wants me here to share my story with other people who struggle with mental health issues. And I believe at the, to the bottom of my soul that that was God's voice talking to me that June night. I believe God saved my life. I believe God healed me. And I believe God can heal you too when you are in the depths of despair. I believe he can heal you and pull you out and up into a new world better than you could have ever imagined. Amen. Good morning. I'm David Lowry, and I consider it an honor to be able to share with you my journey on this I Believe Sunday. I'd like to begin with a story my mother enjoyed telling. When I was a young child, perhaps two or three years old, I suddenly broke loose one Sunday morning and ran up to the pulpit area of our church. Once on stage, I turned to the congregation and I excitedly exclaimed, God loves you and me. That, in a nutshell, is what I believe. I've had some more than wavering moments in that belief throughout my life, and you will learn more about that as I share my story. Many of you already know that I cannot begin my faith journey without first mentioning my grandmother. She was a true inspiration and taught me at an early age what faith was and how we should strive to become closer to God. Growing up, my grandmother lived only a few houses down from us, so I spent a lot of time with her. I saw her Christian devotion take form in many ways. I witnessed her, I witnessed her take food to those who were grieving, to pray for those on our church's prayer list, and to sit with people who were sick. I even recall her once coordinating efforts to help a family that had lost everything due to a fire. And we also had many, many discussions about eternal life while we tended the grave of my grandfather. She was my first glimpse into what it meant to be a true Christian and that she served others before herself. Sunday mornings were a special time for my nanny, the name I called her, and me. She picked me up for Sunday school while my parents and siblings were still getting ready for church. During that drive, she had me read the scripture that my class was going to be covering for the day and we would discuss what the lesson was about. She told me that it was important to do my homework, so that way I could be prepared for the lesson and learn something. Those rides to church are seared into my memory, and it is from her that I learned to love church and the people of God. Sadly, my nanny died when I was about to turn nine years old. It was that summer, during vacation Bible school, that I made a public profession of faith and was baptized in the First Baptist Church of my hometown. At that age, I really didn't know what being saved meant, but I knew it was something I needed to do, or if not, I was going straight to hell. 
I thought that if I walked through those baptismal waters that my sin had been completely washed away. I had a fresh, clean start with no sin. It was 30 minutes later, however, during an argument with my brother about who was going to sit where in the family car that my father told me I had just got my first sin back. My life was out without sin was indeed short-lived. I continued to be active in church throughout my childhood. I went to vacation Bible school at both the Baptist and the Methodist churches in my hometown. It seems I was always at church and I wanted to go. Even my playtime was filled with church-like activities. Many of you may be old enough to remember a Sunday morning television program called Day of Discovery. For those that don't, it was a Bible lesson and singing show filmed on location in Cypress Gardens, Florida. The singers of the show, dubbed the Discovery Singers, were always identically dressed. The men in pastel polyester suits and the ladies in matching long dresses. The singers were always filmed singing in the natural beauty of the garden. With that image in mind, you can picture my sister and I whenever we found ourselves standing beside a beautiful blooming azalea or any body of water, we would suddenly burst into song as if we were the Discovery Singers. She will probably kill me for telling you all that, but it's a special memory nonetheless. As I moved on to my teenage years, I had a strong desire to serve God and others like my parents and my grandmother did. I loved God. I tried so hard to be the person that I thought God wanted me to be. It was, however, during my youth that I discovered something about myself that God didn't like. In fact, God hated it. I knew God hated it because the minister told the church that he hated it. Every quarter or so, the minister would deliver a, a sermon on the evils of homosexuality. Can you imagine the horror of a 13 or 14 year old child trying to come to terms with who they are and finding out that God abhorred them and that they were an abomination? The minister declared in a phrase that I remember to this day that gay people were not gay, that gay meant happy. Then he would exclaim with fists pounding on the pulpit, these people aren't happy, these people are queer. I was mortified. He would continue his sermon by going into the most graphic of detail to equate homosexuality to pedophilia and that AIDS was indeed a punishment for the chosen lifestyle of degenerates. He made it clear, God hated me. I believed him. After all, he was the minister. With this information, I tried everything in my power not to be gay. I prayed and prayed, yet my feelings would not go away. I chose to try to be normal. I dated girls. I wanted so badly to fit in and not be this different freak that I felt that I was. How could I be this awful thing that God hates? All I wanted to do was to serve God. How could this possibly be? I thought that if I continued to go to church, be good and pray, that no one would ever know this awful thing about me. I had to keep this hidden. It was a feeling of loneliness that I cannot possibly begin to express in words. As I struggled with who I truly was, I began to hate myself. And as I had no one to talk to, I contemplated suicide as it seemed I could not please the God I loved and wanted so desperately to serve. I felt so broken and I prayed fervently for God to fix me. It was a horrible time, but I moved on. 
During college, I was invited to sing the Lord's Prayer at a friend's wedding. The organist at the wedding told me that there was a small Methodist church near my college that was looking for a choir director and asked if I'd be interested in applying. I jumped at the chance. I'd love to work for a church, I thought. I went, interviewed, auditioned, and I got the job. I was ecstatic. Perhaps now, I thought, I can serve God and forget my evil thoughts. For the next three years, I worked as a choir director and loved every minute of it. It was a small country church. The minister was semi-retired, and he and his wife had their own home in the area, so that meant I got to live in the parsonage directly across from the church. The people of that church welcomed me into their homes and into their hearts, and I felt a real connection to them. I felt at home, and I had a wonderful, wonderful sense of belonging, yet that reality, yet in reality, they didn't know the real me. Still, it was a good feeling. Part of the reason for that connection was that I not only got to lead the congregational singing and choir, but I also got to assist the pastor in his pastoral visits and was able to help in various ways. I felt God using me in those people's lives, and I enjoyed it so much. I felt that I was doing God's work for the people of Goshen, Alabama. However, things were about to change. During my senior year in college, Pastor Carmichael fully retired and a new pastor was assigned. I thought things were going well until one day when I left my voice lesson in the music department of my college. There, on the bulletin board, was an advertisement for a very, very familiar sounding job. It was my job at the church. I remember staring at that notice, reading it over and over and over again, trying to make it to make sense. I, I didn't resign. I, I was in my last semester of college, but I had no intention of resigning. I hadn't discussed it. I, I was in hopes that I could, I could continue my work in the church. But there it was, in black and white. Surely it was a mistake, I hoped. Perhaps it was the, the old advertisement. But when I asked the pastor, he told me that he had a feeling, a feeling I might be gay and couldn't work with me. He told me it wasn't right to have someone with my feelings in a leadership position, and he had planned to discuss that with me Sunday after church. That was that. I lost my job, my home, and I loathed myself even more. The doors of the church families that had once been open to me were now closed, but I moved on. Thankfully, I was able to get a job after graduation and I moved to Georgia. Sadly, I quit singing and stopped going to church. It was much too painful. However, looking back on that time, I am thankful it happened. It helped me open my eyes to who I am and who God truly wants me to be. Slowly, I began to accept myself, and I surrounded myself with people who accepted me as who I am. As I began to accept myself, I, relieved, I realized God accepted me too. When I moved to Atlanta in the year 2000, I began visiting churches again, churches that were affirming in their love of God and for all humankind, but making sure to keep myself at a distance as not to get too involved. I didn't want to get hurt again. Then a miracle happened. Our twins needed a preschool, and that brought us to Morningside. Never had I felt God's love so much than here at this church. By being a part of Morningside, my prayer life began to take root again, and I felt the connection to God that is so alive here in this community of believers. 
The love in this church became so, so very apparent to me in November of 2017 when I was faced with a life-threatening illness that required an organ transplant. It was through the love of this church, my family and friends, that I was able to get through such a challenging time with such an amazing support network. My friends in the preschool, most notably preschool teacher Betsy Appleby, and this church rallied to my side to make sure I had rides to the doctor and food for my family to eat. It was the prayers of the people of this church that sustained me, and it is by the grace of God that I'm here today. I'm happy to say that I've had glowing health reports ever since, and I know that this church and the prayers of its people made it easier for me in those times of uncertainty, and I am eternally grateful. If you'll indulge me for a moment, I'd like to wish my Michael, my husband, a happy 21st anniversary. Today is our, <laughs> thank you. You forgot, didn't you? <laughs> Today is the 21st anniversary of our first date. Sitting there on the pew with Michael are our two wonderful children, William and Charlotte, who have brightened my life beyond measure. And as I stand here in this beautiful sanctuary, sharing what God has done for me, I can't help but to recall the feelings of that teenage boy that I once was. And this is a moment and a reality that that kid never dreamed would be possible, listening to that awful sermon in the First Baptist Church. I can stand before you today and tell you honestly that God loves me just as much as God loves all of you. We are all children of God, created with special gifts and talents that we can use to honor God and to lift those around us up. As a Christian, I want to help others and allow God to use me in this church to do just that. I am so thankful that through the ministry of the preschool that I've found this wonderful place, and I pray that God uses me here. I'm still growing in my relationship with God. However, my prayers are not like those of my youth to fix me, but to be transfixed by God's love. I consider it a true blessing to be a part of this church family, and I thank you all for the love and encouragement you not only give to me, but to my family. Thank you. God bless you all, and remember, God loves you and me.